Welcome one and all, I'm Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile Coach, and this is the Virtually Agile Podcast, the pod that shares conversations with Agile thought leaders, as well as amplifying newer voices. You'll hear about agility, virtual working, and everything in between. In today's episode, we talk about servant leadership, organic agility as an evolutionary approach, and mastery, including of oneself. If you find value in listening, don't forget to follow or subscribe on your platform of choice. It's the best way to hear about the latest episodes as they land. Enjoy the show, folks. Okay, so fellow Agilists, welcome to another episode in Season 3 of the Virtually Agile Podcast. Today's guest hardly needs an introduction, but I'll give him one anyway. He's an Agile leadership coach and best-selling author of such books as Product Mastery, Scrum Mastery, and Team Mastery. Founder of Inspect and Adapt Limited, which I love as a title given my penchant for retrospectives. I'm very pleased to welcome Jeff Watts to the show. Hey, Chris. Hey. So, Jeff, to those of our listeners who perhaps aren't familiar with your work or your books, please just tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and your journey with agility. Oh, how long have you got? Um, Time. I get, I, get, I get teased about no one really knowing how old I am now and again, but I've... Um, I've been around for a while now, which uh, I'm starting to feel old. <clears throat> but um, I, mean, I started using Scrum when I was a project manager at BT back at 2001. I um, used to work with people like Paul Goddard and Nigel Baker and people like that. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I, I started my company, Inspect and Adapt, in 2006, 2007. And um, I've, I've, got the, I've got two worlds, if you like, that I tend to straddle. One is the agile side of things. Um, and because BT was one of the first big companies in Europe, I would say, that, that sort of dabbled with Scrum and Agile, um, that sort of put me in a place where I, I had some knowledge and experience that wasn't particularly in high currency. So then I went to different companies helping them share our lessons learned. But the other area, the other world that I struggle is, is, like you said, leadership coaching. So I, I coach a lot of people <clears throat> every week with nothing to do with Agile at all. Uh, they could be setting up their own business or they could be um, you know, a franchise owner of a pizza restaurant and uh, they're looking to grow their business or, or motivate their staff or work on their own habits or, or traits, leadership capabilities and things. And um, so it's <clears throat> there's obviously if you I'm a big fan of Venn diagrams. I don't think I've met anybody who isn't a fan of Venn diagrams. But if you imagine a Venn diagram with your agile stuff and your leadership coaching, there's obviously quite a big overlap in the middle. And that's mm. probably where I spend most of my time. Sounds good. Uh, I've recently Sounds become good. aware of the, the Akagi Venn diagram, and it's kind of that Japanese reason for being, and it talks about the, the things you could be paid for, the things that you enjoy doing, um, the things that help people and that sort of thing. And I find my role in particular sits nicely in, in, the, in between all of those. It's something I enjoy doing, something I can be paid for. Uh, so yeah, it sounds like you've got a good position there as well. Now, servant leadership. You describe yourself yeah, as a, a servant leader. Time. <laughs> it does indeed. Things aren't immutable. Uh, I was just saying, you, you describe yourself as a servant leader. So what does servant leadership mean to, to you? And how do you personally exhibit servant leadership with those you work with? Um, well, servant leadership is something that, that was probably the thing that grabbed me, to be honest, when, uh, when I first came across Scrum. Um, and it sort of saddened me that the latest edition of the Scrum Guide took that term out. Because I think it's a, I think it's a differentiator. I think it's, I think it's what makes, um, to me, what makes Scrum Scrum. Um, but that's just my own personal opinion. But my my background, the lens that I see the 
the world through is largely a coaching lens, whether that be working with kids at sport, whether it be helping my kids with their homework, whether it be you know, helping a software team, whatever, I, I tend to see it through that lens of these people generally have more capability than me and more capability than they are aware of more often than not. And so my job is to help them basically discover that, uncover that, accept that in many times, because often they're often a little bit of denial about how good they are uh, or how good they could be. And so this idea of serving, helping people, capable, in, uh, intrinsically motivated people do the good job that they want to do, uh, rather than me putting myself out there as someone who knows more than them, knows better than them, and uh, has to figure out how to tell them what to do, is is intrinsically how I tend to operate. So, like I said, whether it's coaching kids in sport, I did an interesting session a while ago on player-led coaching, when I was um, taught uh, my coaching badges for coaching sport, and I was taught by the, the National Academy to, to run this player-led coaching approach, which is basically, rather than you as a coach, saying, right, this is what we're going to learn this week, asking the kids, 10, 11 years old, so what do you want to get better at this week? What do you want What, what do you want to improve? And then once they've told you that, your job is to create something fun and engaging that makes them want to come back, but also helps them see whether they're getting better or not. Uh, and I, I just think that all kids, given the choice, want to get better. All adults, given the choice between now and tomorrow, would rather be better tomorrow than they are today. Okay, all else being equal. So my job is to is to create that environment where they can get better. That's a great way of describing it. I I personally I've been recently described myself as a, a people focused agile coach, and and this came up because someone was talking to themselves as a full stack agile coach, meaning they kind of they do a bit of everything: technical coaching, DevOps sides, uh, people focus. Mm. And I thought, well, for me, I'm more about all about trying to enable people to be or help them be their best selves to to improve to create an environment systemically where they can do their best job on their best day and be supported on the day that isn't their best day and to me servant leadership is how i i look to to exhibit that i want to try and create that environment for them do what i can to unlock the potential that they they, they already have mm-hmm. so how do you personally yeah. exhibit uh, servant leadership with those you work with any particular um, approaches you use so, I mean, I, I quite consciously, um, to be fair, it's, it's kind of different depending on who I'm working with, I think. But um, my general general approach is to remind myself and everybody else that I'm relatively un, um, what's the word, not necessarily unknowledgeable. I'm not sure whether that's the right word or not. But put it this way, I worked at BT for six or seven years and I never knew how a phone worked or the cloud or anything like that. I've worked in pharmaceutical companies. I don't know how to make drugs. I I've worked at computer games company. I don't know how to write code. So I don't know how to do anything, really. Um, But what I can do is help people um, apply their domain knowledge to their context um, a lot better. And I have have this continuous positive regard. I I genuinely believe that people want to do a good job. They want to be successful. Um, So that's my application of it is, right, I have genuine faith in your ability to either do something or figure out how to do something slightly better than you were doing it before. And I'm not going to judge your um, output. I'm not going to judge your quality from my own perspective. Um, whatever whatever you can do is, is good 
for you um, and I can meet you where you are. That's kind of my default approach. And then obviously the context will, will, will change that um, a little bit. And depending on, I think, how talented or how experienced or how senior or how confident they are uh, might, might mean that the, the tactics change slightly, but the overall strategy, I think, would, would be similar in all situations. I like it. Context is key. I think you and I are very similar in that I look at the code and it looks like the matrix to me. It's just a bunch of ones and zeros. I'm not that deeply technical. And I wouldn't I wouldn't profess to try and tell someone how to do something. You know, yeah. They are the experts. They know how to do it. I would just try and help create an environment where they can continuously improve and perhaps see new ways of doing things and, and experiment. And I loved your reference there also to unconditional positive regard as well. That's one of my default stances for anything. If there's a problem uh, that's arisen, I believe the starting point is the system is at floor, not the person. There's something wrong that's caused that situation. People are just doing the best they can given their situation, uh, the circumstances they're in, the, the skills they have, their, their experiences. And they, as you say, they just want to do a great job. They just want to improve. And often it's the system that's failing them, not the person. Yeah. Right. So organic agility. This is uh, something I've recently learned a little bit about. It describes itself as a, a scaffolding and an evolutionary approach, which I love, by the way, because I no longer use the word transformation when I'm describing longer term change, because I think transformation is too finite to suggest there's a start and a finish, when actually uh, agility is, is evolutionary. We're con constantly learning. So yeah. could you tell me more about organic agility? So it's not a framework. Tell us more. Well, so this is, a, again, I suppose maybe just a little bit of a, um, might be a wordsmithing, but when you work with, with very clever people um, like Dave Snowden and Andrea Tomasini, you kind of take their word for a little bit that there are some nuances that perhaps I don't quite see. So, yeah, I, I could probably interchange the word framework for scaffolding because to me scaffolding is a framework, but there probably is some very clever differentiation that I'm not clever enough to understand. But the idea is that... Um, this was kind of a response to the frustration that we were seeing in the organizations that we were working with, where leadership teams typically were faced with a contradictory option when it came to what was being called things like enterprise agility or scaling scrum or those kinds of things, basically applying what's working at the team level or the, the product level to, to the whole organization. Um, and they were faced with options like safe or scrum at scale, or, or basically all of these different options that were, in our view, very um, contradictory. They were trying to, in essence, apply a waterfall approach to rolling out agility. And that's one of the reasons why I never got involved in, in training or coaching any of those, those, those frameworks, was because it didn't really sit right. It didn't seem to work. So this was, this was our response. And just like you said, it's not about transforming an organization, although Yes, an organization in, a, in 12 months time may well have transformed very significantly from what it was 12 months ago. It won't have finished that transformation, just like I, I am. I have transformed from when I was 21, but I'm still going to be very different to when I'm 60 or even tomorrow. So what I try and get what we try and get across with this, this, this idea of organic agility is, is it kind of doesn't matter where you are and it kind of doesn't matter where you're going um, as long as you've got visibility and the desire to inspect and adapt. Um, and I say desire because it does take quite a bit of courage. I mean, we all know this at the team level or even at the individual level, it takes quite a lot of courage to actually inspect, truly inspect and adapt what you're doing and why and how 
and then make some changes. But at the organizational level, there's there's a lot more politics involved. There's a lot more um, sort of from a career perspective. Uh, and uh, so I, I suppose a, a professional uh, reputation perspective at stake when it comes to inspecting and adapting what we're doing at an, at an organizational level. So this uh, the same principles that I was talking about from my servant leadership approach of meeting people where they are, doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what your approach is, doesn't matter what your framework is, doesn't matter what your process is, doesn't matter how agile or not you are, okay? This, we are where we are. Everything that we've done so far has been done with positive intent. Every policy that we've got in place, no matter how frustrating it is right now, was put in place for, for valid reasons at the time. Um, but then we need to make some change, otherwise we're only gonna carry on the way we are. And the chances are you're seeing some signs that that sustainability or that um, that constant is under threat. So we need to make some change. But how do you know where you're going? How do you know what it is you're aiming for? Because no one can give you a blueprint. No one, well, I suppose they could. They could give you a Spotify blueprint and say, there you go. Um, they try. And most people, yeah, most people, in the, most people in the agile world. And to be fair, Spotify as well would, would laugh at that. Um, but yeah, this idea of, well, you, you, you want to become a little bit different. What, what, what does different mean? It's not about applying the Agile Manifesto, which is why agility is with a small a. You know, I could help someone get better by being less agile, which sounds quite um, almost uh, blasphemous to, to many agile coaches. But it depend. It really depends on what that organisation needs, what the, what the, the the environment they're in, the constraints they're in, um, and within an organisation, usually organisations are quite big and fractal. And this idea of well, actually, this this part of the organisation probably needs a different type or a different level of of agility to this this part, and this team is a little bit further on down the road than this part. So, and it's it's a pretty verbose way of me explaining that. It's, it's trying to help organizations understand the context and make coherent decisions, not just at a leadership level, but to spread that awareness and that responsibility and safety throughout the organization so that we can be more autonomous without going off in different directions. Interesting, and thank you for that description. I think this particularly resonates with me because I am similar. I've similarly seen a lot of attempts by other coaches, other companies, just to copy and paste what's already out there. You know, duplicate a, a safe, a Scrum at scale, a Spotify model directly into the company and just expect it to work. I often say that uh, if any of those frameworks were being truly agile about things in their implementation roadmap, which, as you say, sometimes can be very waterfall-esque, they would have some sort of node in there saying, you know, is this framework even for you? You know, is, it, is it right for you? I think there's a huge uh, focus on trying to standardize as much as possible across how teams work. And by doing that, we don't take into account the individual team's context to say where that team currently is, where they are on their journey at the moment, what their situation is, what their needs are as a team. So I'm, I'm a big believer and subscriber to agile agnosticism and customizing how teams work, how companies work based on their situation, their needs, their their clientele, their circumstances. And, and just for me, when I'm when I'm coaching agility, I'm trying to help them continuously experiment until they find what works for them. And that could be, to be honest, borrowing bits of safe if that works, borrowing bits of Kanban and Scrum and whatever it may be. And also 
to, to echo what you said, that blasphemous thing of suggesting waterfall. Yeah, that, that, that's useful in some scenarios too. Waterfall, um, obviously, is out of fashion nowadays, but it does perfectly work in some scenarios. You know, if you've got a very highly regimented, or you know, I often use the example of regulatory change, legal change. If you've got a two-year timeline to implement something that's very fixed, and nothing's going to change about that, it's a great example of something you can do in waterfall quite well. Could that also be done with agile techniques? Absolutely, but it could be very well be done with waterfall. And it might be that the team is already working waterfall. It just makes sense for them to continue doing that. So I think organic agility sounds like it resonates with me. I'm going to learn a little bit more about it. Cool. So something I find quite topical at the moment, there's a lot of hyperbole, a lot of news headlines, articles out there. It's a wash on LinkedIn. This concept of the rebellion, uh, kind of the war of employees versus employers about returning to offices. Um, there's the another one they're using is the great resignation, where people are or have spent the past year and a half tasting what what, what life is like when they don't have to commute into a, an office, and seizing that back and just saying, well, I, I don't want to go anymore. They're reevaluating what they want from their working lives, perhaps saying, well, I it's really important to me that I have that family time now, or that time for hobbies and, and so on and so forth. So I'm seeing a lot of that out there. I'm wondering what your thoughts on it all is. Do you think, for example, um, uh, there's going to be a winner and loser between employees versus employers when it comes to getting people back into the office? No, not 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 overall. I think I think some employers will lose. I think some employees will lose. Uh, I think there will be a lot of people and organisations that gain. Um, mm. I think. I, I would, I wouldn't really like to be in a position where I was trying to come up with a a plan, a model um, for for an organisation. I, and I've got a very good friend of mine who I saw recently, who who's director of a, of, a, of a recruitment agency, and they are back in the office. Some of them they've worked out a rota. Um, where people have said, right, this we're going to have this number of people in the office, um, no more, but equally no less. Uh, that was sort of collectively agreed, uh, and they worked out how they were going to organise things. Some general principles, obviously you can't take it down to the nth level of detail, but the general principles. Um, and, and some people have said, you know what, that's not what I want to be part of. Um, and other people have said, that's exactly what I want. Some people have said, mm, it's not ideal. But, you know, I can see why as an organization, you need something different to what I would design myself. Um, and it's OK. You know, it, it's fine. It's not brilliant, but it's fine. And I think that's the same of any kind of group level decision is that you're never going to have well, not never, but you're hardly ever going to have a situation where everybody is over the moon, 100 percent, you know, uh, on board with with any kind of group decision, because we're all so different. We all have different needs. I would suggest that if you did have that, you haven't probably got a diverse enough team to be successful in a cross-function. Um, so in those situations, it's really important for everybody to, to be heard. I think that's, you know, this is just a symptom of any other real team. I'll use the word conflict. It might not be a conflict, but it certainly has the potential to be a conflict. Where more often than not, the conflict escalates because people don't feel heard. Mm. Sometimes just being heard and acknowledged takes the tension down. 
and they're prepared to accept something different to what they would demand. But if they don't feel heard, they dig their heels in more and it becomes more of a, of a tension. It, it's quite easy to be emotional, I think, in, in, in these kinds of situations and say, you know, this is what I want and I've had a really tough time and now I want to strike out and um, take a little bit more control because I've had control taken away from me the last 18 months. And one way of taking control is by saying, right, this is what I'm going to be prepared to do and this is what I'm not. But I think, as with all of these things, it's the conversation is the key. And having, uh, I mean, you can't take emotion out of it completely, but having a calm conversation about it, respecting what each individual, each party, the organisation needs, um, what they're worried about, what uh, what they value. Um, and it's an opportunity to realign, I think, as an organisation. I completely agree. I think there's a, a lot that could be done with regards to the concept of like a remote working charter. How do we set each other up for success, given that odds are the majority of companies are moving towards this this hybrid model? So what does what does good synchronous and asynchronous communication look like? What do we need from one another to be successful when we're not perhaps in the office face to face all the time? And the ability to do that uh, and hear people's individual needs, so they they do feel heard, they do feel part of the solution rather than just having something prescribed and standardised for them. I think the companies that embrace techniques like that will will do well. They probably end up retaining their people more and attracting people from the ones that aren't happy with how uh, other companies are approaching things. There's a lot of people that are looking to to kind of vote with their feet and just move on and being poached by companies that are being perhaps more progressive in that in that sense allowing I think that's a, a good a, thing. A, a customization yeah because I, I think, think coming that's back to thing. context yeah com coming back to context it's very contextual your your last year and a half may be very different to someone else's last year and a half you might have you might have been living in a house share situation where you're confined to your bedroom and that's that's where you work live and and that's it and that to, to you is a horrible circumstance you don't enjoy that and you enjoy being in the office you get your energy from that and that's okay that's your preference that's where you're most productive you might be like myself who's fortunate enough to have his own home office i can work from here and i can close that door at the end of the day and that's my work life gone and i can go and do my own thing uh, and you might actually enjoy a mixture of the two and i think genuinely the companies that allow the choice you know the flexibility work from home may become work from anywhere work from you where you are most productive and allowing the teams to decide what's best for themselves and as to how they work, particularly given that uh, the rise of remote working enables probably greater diversity because you're likely to have teams comprised of people from all over the world now, more so than they used to because the co-location was always the golden standard. So I think there's a lot of benefits that, that there have been to this and that companies that truly embrace um, not just hybrid styles, but remote principles are going to benefit a lot from. Yeah, I, I think in general, the ones that come out of this the best will be the ones that have considered the other party's needs and concerns and um, and feelings the most. So, from a, from an employer's perspective, taking into account the different the different circumstances that people have with regards to their their buildings, their tools, their environment, their infrastructure, their their family circumstances, but equally from the employee's perspective, are you considering you know, your employers and your other colleagues? needs rather than just thinking about what, what you want. Um, I think it will require people to change organizations. I imagine there will be some organizations that basically say, okay, whatever you want to their employees, and some will, will thrive and they will do really well because of the increased buy-in, engagement, motivation, and some won't um, because it, the, the connection 
to the organization's values and mission wasn't really there in the first place. And it was a way of some employees finding a way out of the more difficult situation they were in, in the office. So uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see where things fall. It's going to take I think it's going to take a few years for it to, to sort itself out. I agree. I think we're in for a, in for an interesting few years to see how it plays out, how it progresses, what we learn in that time frame, and what companies ultimately end up, what companies and employees end up, end up doing. Mm -hmm. So you are an author of a number of best-selling books: Product Mastery, Scrum Mastery, and Team Mastery. If you were able to distill any of the key takeaways from each of those books down to just kind of a, a few sentences from each, what, what would you say they are? Asking the difficult questions. Um, so the idea behind the underlying principle, if you like, is that I'm not a believer in highlighting anti-patterns. So when I was coming through if you like and partly this is down to the uh, circumstances i guess just the the, the smaller data set um, and the, the 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 newness of it all is that people made more mistakes so we had a lot more mistakes to learn from than we did success stories to learn from um and mistake other people i, I do i would much rather learn from somebody else's mistake than my mistake don't get me wrong because i don't like failing i don't like messing up but generally speaking anti-patterns don't give you a positive way forward. They just give you one avenue not to try in some circumstances. So the, the underlying principle was to focus on good rather than bad. Uh, again, possibly because of my, my view of everybody wants to be successful and even failures can be um, positive learning experiences. But focus, first of all, the benchmark is good. And then if you want, and if you think you, you're capable and the organization is capable and you're prepared to put the work in, then here are some some examples of what great could be. Um, and all of them are based on real observations. Yeah, they've been fictionalized and hybridized, but they're all based on real observations. So they're all possible. And it's kind of a so this is this is what you can probably get quite easily just by by doing a few things simply disciplined and, and well and creatively but if you really want to go for it then here is something possible that's a real great place to be so it's supposed to be a little bit real and inspiring wonderful i love the the focus on the, the positivity uh similar to you I've I have observed in my work people don't like failure you know they don't like talking about failure failure is still very stigmatized and, and even though there's this phrase a lot of agile coaches use fail fast uh, particularly certain demographics they just they don't like it they don't want to fail failure is seen as this negative thing and uh, it's linked to as you say some of the political pressures that there could be career progression and so on and so forth failure is seen as this big negative thing and I often use learn fast instead. And as you mentioned, you can reframe uh, failure as a learning opportunity. But I love to focus on the positive side. And, and like you, I don't tend to post about anti-patterns or say not what to do. Whenever I do a, a talk or I'm sharing any content about things I've learned from my experiences, I'm always trying to leave people with actionable takeaways, things they can try that I've seen work. And it may not work for you, but I've seen them work that you can maybe give a go and learn for yourself whether it works for you. Again, always trying to foster that experimentation. Here's some things you could give a go. Might work for your scenario, might not, but 
give it a go. Mm. Okay. And mastery as a topic in general, obviously there's a, there's a theme across your books, it's all about mastery, uh, but there's also self-mastery. So what, what, do you, what do you believe self-mastery to mean? And, and how do you, I guess, master yourself? So, um, Jeff master himself. I don't. Well, so, um, so I wrote, I've written my agile books. I've written one for scrum masters and product owners and, and team members. Um, but the other big book that I wrote, uh, was called the coach's case book. And that was nothing to do with agile. In principle, you wouldn't see the word agile or scrum or scrum master or product owner or anything like that in there. And it was drawn from my coaching practice uh, and uh, the coaching practice of my co-author Kim Morgan. And all of the all of the chapters in there focused on personality traits, things like imposter syndrome, people pleasing, perfectionism, procrastination, and so on. And it's again drawn from stories of, of real people, fictionalized and hybridized, but real people, real coaches, and real clients. And looking at how you can take each of those traits and try and take the positives because there are positives in all of them uh, without letting them undermine your ability so finding that that sweet spot because even things like imposter syndrome where you know you've got this crippling self-doubt and you think you're going to get found out and there's this i'm a fraud and you know i, I can't do this people think i'm better than i am everything everything that i've achieved is because of luck it can be a really crippling thing. It can stop people taking advice, really stressful, but it does have positives. It has, it, 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 it creates a, a certain level of compre um, comprehensivity in your, in your uh, preparation, for example. You're gonna prepare a lot. You're gonna be very diligent. You're gonna try hard. You're gonna really push yourself. Um, and so those positives are good, but the negatives can limit you. So self-mastery for me is about developing a greater self-awareness of what's working for me and when things perhaps stop working for me and how I can tailor and, and sort of rein in the more extreme aspects of, of that personality trait while still keeping the positive aspects of that trait for my benefit and everyone around me. And while I didn't call the book self-mastery and we didn't call the book self-mastery, I have actually taken the premise of that book and turned it into um, a course called self mastery uh, because i think that that's you know the, the the predominant factor of my work whether i'm working with scrum masters whether i'm working with developers whether i'm working with product owners leaders whoever we've all got certain aspects of those personality traits and indeed to come back to your question or one of your questions there around you know, has jeff mastered himself basically if you want to know how messed up jeff is read that book because so much of me has been put into that um you know okay I'm, I'm i'm not so much of a procrastinator i'm more of a precrastinator but certainly the imposter syndrome the performance anxiety the people all, all those things in there there's there's lots of me in there and have i mastered it no no but it's not about the end it's about this continual journey it's like that the, an organization is never going to have completed a transformation I'm never going to be the finished article. Um, it's always a case of just take what I've got today. Can I just make things a little bit better tomorrow? Uh, and that's that's all we can really aim for, I think. It's like, almost like that uh, law of marginal gains, isn't it? That that one percent increase, one percent better every day type of focus. 
Um, you know, some of those there resonate with me as well. Maybe not the imposter syndrome, because I'm abundantly confident about everything, almost to the point of complacency sometimes. That's probably the negative on my side. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, really, really interesting topic, self-mastery. And as I said, I don't, I don't think we are, we're not immutable. We won't exist on one, one end of the spectrum at any point in time. It's just that continual journey. Um, I'm wondering if there are any techniques you subscribe to to become better aware of, are you progressing in the right direction? Are you are you still aware of how certain of those limitations are affecting you and what you do differently? Yeah, I mean, the, the two main techniques that, that I've applied through my career are um, journaling, not necessarily physically journaling. Uh, it can be just in, your, in my head journaling um, and guided reflection. So whether that be through a coach or a coaching supervisor or feedback from my peers or debriefing with my family or what have you. Um, And it used to be, I would say when I was younger, it was probably more around sort of milestones, you know, when you get to the end of the year and you think, okay, how's my year been? How am I doing? You know, have I achieved my goals for the year? That kind of thing. Even, even so far as um, your new year's resolutions or you reach your birthday and you think, okay, I'm another year older. Am I another year wiser? Am I another year more successful? (laughs) But now it's a bit more, um, real time than that, you know, so, <clears throat> and it helps, I think, running your business as well. So, you know, you've got your quarterly goals, your monthly goals and, and things like that. And so you can tie in your personal reflections with your organization business reflections. Um, so the with different forms of reflection and there are different forms of journaling, but basically reflection and journaling will be the two main ones. Excellent. I subscribe to those exact methods so i journal on a daily basis mostly for my mental health but i also find it just helps me get the content that's out of my head because you can't possibly remember how you felt last week and what what triggered a certain response so journaling is absolutely something i do and even to the point of i've recently included based on a recommendation from lisa adkins asking the question what value have i brought today that can be quite a powerful one so i do that as well and then for me again having not not yearly goals like resolutions or anything but quarterly ones right am i moving in the right direction and that, that ties into the daily journaling because I say, right, um, what did I do in the last day that's helped me move towards my goals? What's, what's moved them further away from achieving my goals? So it's almost like solo inspection, like a retrospection for one, retrospect for one, like a daily standard with myself and then a, a weekly retrospect, um, yeah. retrospective. These are techniques I saw up to. Good. So uh, I mentioned earlier, so the, the theme of this video cast or this podcast is all around amplifying newer voices just as much as hearing from thought leaders such as yourself. So I'm wondering, is there anyone out there, Jeff, that you, you've seen that perhaps isn't a regular on the conferences, isn't actively speaking at, at meetups and things like that, but should be heard from more? Or perhaps I should invite to speak on the show. Um, well, to the, my, my instinctive response is is twofold really and um guilty of my own you know cognitive biases looking through my own lenses and things but i think it's the only lens i can look through so two aspects of the question you asked me newer voices and ones that aren't heard as much as perhaps they should be and i'm going to give you two different answers so the first one is somebody that doesn't get heard of as much as i think they should but they're not a new voice they just don't really put themselves out there very much. So a guy called Michael James from uh, the northwest of the States, um, Mike James, he was he was basically the person that inspired me, with, although he didn't necessarily realise it, to come up with the, the Scrum Mastery concept. 
um, because he was the first person that I ever heard say a good scrum master can probably cope with three teams, but a great scrum master focuses on one. And he's full of insightful witticisms and um, anecdotes and things like that. And he's an incredibly hands-on person. So he doesn't, we don't necessarily agree about everything. Um, so for example, yeah, he, he's a big fan of the scrum master should be quite technical, whereas I'm not necessarily agree in agreement with that, but that doesn't mean we don't agree on other things. He's incredibly passionate. Um, he's just, he's all about value and, and focus and, and other people's success. So he doesn't really put himself out there very much. He doesn't publicize himself very much, but he's a very, very clever, very, very insightful guy. Um, and the other people, and I say people because um, my main focus this year has been on my community that I created. And there's a small subset of that community that, that meet really regularly and we, we really go quite deep on a lot of things. Uh, and you very kindly uh, ran a session for us. The, the people in there uh, are, on the whole, unsung heroes, I would say. So they are people who are operating within organizations around the world. So they're generally on their own. They, they don't work with any of the other people in the community. They're quite isolated and they're really doing quite a difficult job and have incredible ideas and incredible insight and incredible passion but don't really have the allies necessarily to um, to make as much impact and change as they would really, really like. And so this idea of creating this community is to you know, give that sense of support, develop ideas. And since then, I've seen people in there, people like um, Donna Lee, who has, is a human systems dynamics coach from Japan, who started running uh, free webinars over here for, for people to explore what human systems dynamic is. Um, and um, we've got Frankie Bianchi, who's uh, running free webinars on visual facilitation and all sorts of different things. So that group in there are really getting to the point, I think, where they're going to start really having a big impact on things because they're, they're, they're developing that confidence, that sense of camaraderie. And you know, they really, really want to help lots of people. Excellent. Thank you for sharing. I'll have to have a chat with those people and see if they are keen to partake in the show. And if anyone... Of any of my listeners are keen to learn a bit more about them. I'm sure you can find them on, on LinkedIn or through, through Jeff, I expect. Right. Uh, you knew it was coming at some point. Obviously, you mentioned that I'd done a bit of a retrospective workshop for, for your community not too long ago. So retrospective is one of my, my favorite topics. If you could add any new themed retro to my backlog, Jeff, what would it be? You can be as crazy and silly as you want. I've had some really random ones. Um, well... So the, the themes that I really enjoy, and this, I suppose, is um, getting into my, uh, what, what are my geeky uh, leanings? I love cowboy themes. Um, and I suppose you could tie into that country and Western music. So that's whole country cowboy, cowgirl type theme, I think would probably be one of them. Um, that, yeah, I, I'm going to say that. Have you done that already? I haven't done that yet. So my mind's going to like, it's going straight to Westworld. It, it, it first went to Will Smith in Wild Wild West, the, the movie. Okay. Um, but then there's also obviously lots of uh, lots of movies, Clint Eastwood and Co. So uh, yeah, I'm sure I can think of think of something in the the Wild West cowboy esque. Circling the wagons. Music. Circling the wagons. Yeah. Wanted Gold dead or rush. alive. Yeah. Wanted dead or alive. Yeah. Wanted dead or alive. Yeah. There's loads of things there. Loads of things. Excellent. I'll I'll give that a go. 
rattlesnakes and well it's been wonderful to host you on the show jeff um any final thoughts you'd like to share with any of the listeners um that's a very jerry springer question isn't it um <laughs> i already prepared for I that i didn't think of that i didn't think of that but yeah do you remember jerry here with jeff's final thoughts i do i do okay yeah so uh, it's like the, the the america the american version of jeremy kyle back in the yeah. probably early 2000s late 90s where there was just always fights and yeah chaos but he used what was it he used to say is it be good to yourself and each other is that what he used to say i have no idea i, I don't I remember think it was something detail. along those lines and i did a, i did a post recently about you know be awesome to each other kind of thing and that yeah uh, okay I, I i didn't want to mention the pandemic but it the idea of just being kinder to one another is something that um you know, I learned from one of my mentors, Gene Tobaker, and that whether that was within the agile movement, you know, agile frameworks, being kinder to each other, you know, just stop bashing each other, or whether it's just within a team or on social media, whatever it is, just you don't have to agree, you don't have to become an echo chamber, but just be nicer to each other. Um, and I think everything will get better. Honestly, some of my fondest conversations with people I haven't met on LinkedIn and otherwise have just been very amicable debates where we haven't agreed with one another, but that's fine. There's nothing wrong with disagreeing with someone. You don't have to have everyone saying yes to you. Some some of the best intellectual discussions I've had have been a consequence of that. That's how Tobias Mayer and I end up um, speaking and getting him on the show because we had this, we kept having these debates on various topics and it was just very, very amicable. And I respected the way he approached it. It wasn't any, there wasn't any attacking. It wasn't any defensive attitude. It was just, we, we have a disagreement here, but we're, we're progressing this discussion together. It was great. Wonderful final note to leave us on. So thank you for again, for your, for sharing your, your wisdom for being part of the show, Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure and, uh, see you later. No worries. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Chris. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.